Welcome to the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Your source for everything outdoors. Let's kick it into overdrive. Overdrive Outdoors podcast brought to you by Predator Hunter Outdoors. Whether you are new to predator hunting or looking to upgrade your equipment, Predator Hunter Outdoors will have you hunting after the sun goes down. Carrying a full line of lights, night vision, and thermal optics, along with tripods, calls, mounting systems, and more, check them out at www.predatorhunteroutdoors.com or on Facebook at Predator Hunter Outdoors. Use promo code OVERDRIVE2021 for 20% off your order. Want to lengthen your time in the field and shorten your scouting time? Not only does the HuntWise app show you property boundaries, landowners' names, and in some cases even their phone number, but using the app will show you the wind direction on the map of the place you want to hunt. And the HuntCast feature shows peak movement times for various species, including predators. Get the HuntWise app at www.huntwise.com, the Google Play Store, or the Apple App Store. For only $59.99 a year for Pro or $119.99 a year for Elite. Use promo code OVERDRIVE20 for 20% off an annual membership. Welcome back, everybody, to the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Wanted to say thank you if you once again clicked play this week. This week's actually a pretty special one for us. Uh, guy that we've talked to and known for quite a while, Mr. Mike Avery from Mike Avery's Outdoor Magazine joins us this week on the podcast. It was a great conversation. Really enjoyed his time. Uh, we talk about everything he enjoys in the outdoors. Bear hunting, turkey hunting, uh, fishing for walleye. We talked to him a little bit about his interview with Fred Bear. What it was like getting a start in the outdoors. It was a great conversation, so go ahead and give it a listen. Please, at the end, leave us a rating and a review. If you don't like what you hear, let us know. If you do, let us know. As always, we appreciate each and every one of you that has followed with us for so long. Without further ado, let's get to talking to Mike Avery. All right, everybody, welcome back once again to the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Tonight we have Kevin Raw as a co-host and special guest, Mr. Mike Avery. How you doing, Mike? Yeah, I'm doing good. How are you guys tonight? Doing well, doing well. It uh, it's kind of raining over here. Yeah, I just uh, I just drove up from Detroit and I went uh, drove through a little bit of a snowstorm and now it's warmer. I don't know if it knows what it wants to do right now. No, tomorrow we're hunting in a uh, coyote tournament put on by DNR Sports in Kalamazoo here, and it's supposed to be like. I think negative five degrees tomorrow night. <laughs> yeah, that temperature roller coaster we're on this winter. Uh, yeah, yeah, we didn't even get snow until after Christmas, and now it's just going to keep on dumping on us, I guess. Yep. yep, and cold for the most part, cold, cold, cold. Absolutely. But cold for you, do you do any ice fishing? You know, I don't anymore. Um, I used to, but for some reason, I don't know if it's because I get older and I get to be more of a sissy or what. I just... Uh, I'll stick to my open water fishing. I love trolling walleye on Saginaw Bay. That's one of my favorite things to do. And I know the fishing out there in the wintertime is great. 
I used to do it. I just haven't done it lately. And it's, it's, I gotta be honest, it's not something I miss. I think it was the Saginaw River I drove over last year to hunt with a buddy of mine, uh, Matt, and it was loaded with ice fishermen. Yeah, I mean, there's thousands of people out there tonight, and I think that's very cool. I think it's one of the greatest conservation success stories I've seen in my life because when I uh, back when I was working for TV5 News, uh, WNEM in Saginaw, the river didn't even freeze. And if you saw kids sneaking out on the ice those first couple of years it froze, they called the cops and the fire department because it was such an anomaly and oh no it can't be safe out there and now we've got a world-class walleye fishery and literally thousands of people on that river every day so i guess i've never heard that why had why did that river never freeze prior to that it goes back to the old days of the companies that were upstream and i I, you know i don't want to single them out but you can figure (laughs) out who it is but you know at gm used to do the same thing uh all, all companies did we didn't have I mean, the river behind the plant was the dumping ground, and that's what everybody did, and it was legal, and it was accepted. And eventually, we realized, hey, that's not a good thing to do, and companies were more strict in uh, in, in what they put out in their effluent, and, and Mother Nature cleaned herself up, and now the river's clean enough to, to freeze. There are walleye in there. They're catching sturgeon in there, and it's just it's a great story. Is that their main target out there is walleye? Walleye, yes, yes. Okay. Although, there's, there's you mean in the wintertime? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, walleye, through the yeah. ice. Yep. A lot of people I know like to go out on the ice for the jumbo perch. Yeah, not so much in the river, though. If you go after perch, you're going out in Saginaw Bay more than the Saginaw River. I had a story on the radio show here just a couple of weeks ago. A buddy of mine, Tony Sobe, retired conservation officer, who spent his life out there on the bay fishing and working and rescuing people and teaching ice rescue. He went through the ice a few years ago. And if it can happen to him, it can happen to anybody. So yes. I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait and go out in the angler quest in the open water. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, do you probably do catch and release or do you like to eat them? I, I throw more fish back than I keep. Not because I'm a big catch and release guy. I just don't like fish that much. If I've got people who are fishing with me, yeah, they'll take them all. If I've got somebody who wants fish, I'll bring them home with me. But for me... My wife likes them, you know, so I got to bring some home, but I just, I don't have a taste for fish. So of all the animals you could catch or hunt, what is your favorite eating? Uh, I like bear brats on the grill. Bear brats on the grill are outstanding. That's probably my favorite. And you have somebody make those up for you? Yeah, uh, Michigan brand does them for me. Are they spicy or just any flavor you want? They'll make whatever you want. We make a pretty, we have them make up a pretty plain one, a basic one. And then we have one that makes uh, cheddar brats. And those oh, are yeah. really, really good. So I like cheddar jalapeno. Yeah. Well, yeah. We had some of those made up too. Those were good. Yeah. I, I like that spice, that little bit of spice in there. Yeah. So Mike, you mentioned the uh, TV station you started out working for. Was it always as, uh, as a hunting for hunting uh, outdoors? No I, no, I actually started in 1980 back at WJRT TV 12 in Flint as a part-time videographer, just working in the news department, you know, covering fires and crime and city council and stuff. And then I worked down there for a couple of years, moved up to TV5 in Saginaw, used to work the uh, crime beat. Uh, I, I liked that because my dad was a cop. I had a lot of buddies were cops, so I could relate to the guys, and we had a lot of fun doing that. And then... Uh, I decided, you know, I, I, I want to do something else. I want to do something that, that uh, 
I, I had two passions, I, I and I still do. I have a passion for telling stories with video, maybe now with audio as much as anything. But I like, I like that storytelling process of using technology to tell stories, and I liked the outdoors. So I thought, how can I combine these two into something that I can do and people will accept? So we started a franchise called News 5 Outdoors, and that was little minute-and-a-half snippets on Thursday nights on the newscast, and people loved them. So I said, okay, I'll see if I can expand this a little bit more. So let's do a... Let's do and, – and, and the News 5 Outdoors was pretty self-explanatory. It was News 5 Outdoors. Yep. And then when I started this next step, you've probably never heard of this, but there was something on TV called uh, PM Magazine, and it was a variety show, and it was kind of a syndicated thing. There was a national form of it, and the local stations did something. Uh, and PM Magazine was very, very popular on TV5. So I said, okay, I want to start doing these quarterly, every three month, half hour shows. And let's, you know, I don't care what we call them. And the program director at the time said, well, let's call them Outdoor Magazine because PM Magazine is so popular. So I did those for about a year and they were so popular every three months. I said, well, let's do them once a month. Okay. That was extremely popular. It got to the point where. I was walking around that TV station with a smile on my face and people knew I was up to something. And the, uh, the news director came to me and said, look it, you, you are, you are, we're not going to pay you to do this anymore. However, if you go out on your own, we will still carry your show. And at that point I went on my own. We made it a, a weekly show, weekly half hour show, got it on the outdoor channel at the time. It was one of the early shows on the outdoor channel. Uh, eventually that got too expensive, moved over to sportsman channel, and finally, 20 years or so later, I got smart and got out of TV completely. So what was the worst part about the TV aspect? The grind. The, the, the grind of putting something out every week, every week, every week. The pressure of going on these hunts that should have been a lot of fun, that were just not fun because you had to produce. You had to try to hopefully shoot an animal or at least see big animals. Uh, that really got to me. That it, it became a drag. It wasn't fun anymore. Plus the expense. The only millionaires in outdoor television, other than Michael Waddell and Lee and Tiffany, are people who started out with several million and ended up with a million. <laughs> if we've it's, heard it's that. Very, yeah, it's 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 a very there's there's no reason, in my opinion, anymore for anybody, unless you are a manufacturer who's trying to promote a product. There's no reason for anybody to go on cable TV, outdoor channel, sportsman, or whatever, because you've got all this online stuff that we're doing these days. You can reach people with no overhead, doesn't cost you a thing. Why pay the networks these exorbitant rates? Don't get me started on this, because I think they're overpriced, and then they would come back and compete with you as an individual producer for your sponsors. It was, it was, like, it was like a legal form of extortion. Yep, and we've we've pretty much kept everything of ours to YouTube and you know our Facebook page stuff like that. And it's the way to go. I'm telling you, you're smart. That's the way to go. Yeah, we just we just looked over our analytics for the page yesterday, and it's kind of amazing how many hours people will spend watching YouTube. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't cost them anything. It doesn't cost you anything. It's like the best of all worlds. Right. So when you were growing up, you said your dad was a police officer. Did he do a lot of hunting? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. My granddad hunted, my dad hunted, I hunt, my son hunts, my grandkids hunt. I learned to hunt from my dad. Uh, my early adventures were, I grew up in northern Kent County, north of Grand Rapids. And at the time, it was fields and farms and woodlots and pretty cool, you know, open country. So I grew up uh, chasing brook trout in Cedar Creek and the Rogue River and uh, chasing pheasants in the farm uh, farmland around the house. And, yep. and, and rabbits, of course, and then squirrels. And, yeah, it was a great way to grow up. I grew up hunting and fishing. And when you hunted or went fishing back then, was it all because of the food and the money you could bring from certain animals? Was that what your family hunted for? We hunted, yeah, because you could put some meat on the table. And even at that early age, I think I realized it was just plain fun. Yeah, you could go out and knock down a couple of pheasants and bring home dinner. But it was an awful lot of fun along the way, too, yeah. Uh, my dad toyed around with trapping. Uh, it's something I never got into. I'm fascinated by it. I watched him, you know, clean the traps, boil the traps, and I never got into that. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think the process of of being able to bring home something that you can eat and still have fun, it's as good as it gets. Yeah, and if, if we ate all the coyotes, which we have tried. <laughs> we'd you, have need Dixie Dave. You, you need Dixie Dave to cook those up. <laughs> you bring up an interesting point, too, because I talked about this a lot on the radio show last week. I was talking to Jordan Farmer, who had a dog killed by a wolf in the UP because he was bobcat hunting. Yep. And then I had Chris Durson of Rapid River Knives on, who had just returned from an Idaho mountain lion hunt. So much of the show a couple of weeks ago was talking about predator control and the need to harvest and kill and control animals even when you don't eat them. Yes. So I get it. See, I, I, I grew up in a household where you didn't kill something unless you ate it. Yep. But as I have gotten older and come to understand wildlife management a little bit better, I acknowledge and embrace the theory that sometimes you have to shoot things just because they need to be controlled. I got a wolf sitting here in my office I shot in Ontario. I didn't eat him. Yeah. But their population needed to be controlled. So I get it. Yeah. And for people that do listen to this coyote depends on how you cook it. <laughs> my brother made jerky out of it and it really wasn't terrible. He also made spaghetti out of it. Uh, I did backstraps and I would not do it again. <laughs> Kevin, have you ever ate one of yours? Yeah, actually it was really good. You couldn't tell the difference between that and beef. And we did fresh backstraps out of one that I had trapped. Uh, gave it to a buddy of mine, and he did it in Dr. Pepper jalapeno jerky. And we ate it live on the on the channel. And I remember now. We honestly couldn't tell the difference between that and beef. Wow. So it's all in the prep. Not recommended by me, but if you want some, Mike, we'll drop some off. No, I'm going to pass because <laughs> I got Dixie Dave who can cook that stuff up for me. You want me to and drop them to him? Uh, yeah, he's a guy. He's a guy. <laughs> I actually had uh, a bobcat I hear is, is really bobcat good. Is and mountain good. lion, I guess, is the best thing you can eat, right? I mean, everybody I've talked to has had mountain lion raves about it. I've never even touched bobcat. Kevin just had bobcat from his that he got beginning of January. And we ate some of the one from the last one I got, too. Okay. And, yeah, Fri you like that. Rind and smoked. Medium rare or, or well no, done? No, you have to cook it well done. Cats can actually, from what I understand, carry trichinosis, same as bears. Like bears then. Okay. Okay. Which is a parasite? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And people say that about the coyotes too. So it's really not one that I want to mess with too much. Yeah. But um, 
you know, you're talking about your a minute and a half episodes when you started out on TV. What all did you cram into a minute and a half that got so much attention? You have to realize that when you're watching a newscast, that's how things are broken down. You know, we're used to podcasts and YouTube that can go on for 5, 10, 20 minutes or whatever. But in a broadcast format like that, you are strictly limited to that very short time frame. So you become fairly good if you could become successful at it fairly good at telling a pretty good story in just a minute and a half um but what i tried to do to ease my way into it and get the broadest possible audience was not right off the bat a lot of blood and guts a lot of hook and bullet a lot of you know blood and stuff um so it would be you know wildlife issues conservation issues making duck boxes all those kind of real soft warm and fuzzy things just to get people ready for what I was going to show them. And then when the TV show came along, you know, when I was doing it only at TV five, it was still kind of warm and fuzzy and scenery and music. And, but then when I went on on my own, it came a little bit more of a hardcore. Um, so it was, it was, it was pretty, pretty broad based. When you started putting hunting actual hunts, out for people did you catch a lot of negativity back then oh yeah oh yeah uh the first show the first segment for the news i ever did on bow hunting and we never killed an animal never showed a dead animal i had a lady who happened to be a good friend of the general manager came unglued and say how can you possibly show this on tv about killing these poor defenseless animals fortunately the news director the uh, general manager backed me and said ah, don't worry about it but yeah yeah, absolutely. And I still get it today because because my radio show airs on broadcast stations and it gets a pretty ro- wide reach. I still hear from people today who who bitch about that kind of stuff. Yeah, when I was in the UP in August this year, I don't remember. We were in one of the uh, little antique or stores off the side of US2 there, and they were playing the radio station and you came on saying what times your episodes were. And I'm like, you know, a lot of people up here – in the UP, it's probably a little more accepted than it is below the bridge. Yeah, and that's that's one of the big things I have to keep in mind is I've got you know a statewide audience. I'm not in, I'm not on in Detroit because I won't pay to be on in Detroit, but people in Detroit can still hear the show from the podcast. But I've got people listening from Iron Mountain to Sandusky to Grand Rapids to Flint, and I got to try to. I don't want to say keep them all happy because you can't, but at least be broad based enough to try to keep them all interested. So they'll listen. Yeah. And I mean, do you, we have, get, do you have a lot of out of state listeners as well? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, some, a fair amount. I mean, I heard from a guy just the other day, he said, I live in, uh, you know, Indiana, Ohio, Wisconsin, that type of thing, Texas, Florida, only people who used to live in Michigan who, who uh, moved down there and then they listen to the podcast. So we, I look at our uh, podcast standings every once in a while, every day. And it's amazing how many people click and download our links from India, India, yep. India. We get quite a few downloads. There's a specific podcast network that you can be on that. I saw that. I saw plays that over there quite often. I saw that. Yes, yes, yes. What do you, and if this is too inside baseball and you don't want to, divulge this fine and you can edit it out what's your most popular podcast platform what do most people listen on uh 
Oh, man. I could tell you real quick here. Give me just a second. I'm just I'll, curious. I'll, I'll tell you here. Let's see here. The my, Number one is Apple Podcasts. Yeah, that's mine that, too. 57.5% of all users are off Apple Podcasts. Yeah. But we've, you know, we've, this is going to be our 31st episode. So we've been keeping track of how this first year goes. And it's interesting to see even our YouTube channel, where the views come from. And a lot of them are from India. And honestly, a lot of our negativity comes from around that general vicinity as well. well don't listen. If you don't like it. <laughs> no. Don't listen. Yeah, yeah. Well, in our videos, we've got, uh, we got one that's pushing 20 million views, I think right now. And it, the death threats that you get from shooting a coyote, uh, they're amazing. <laughs> yeah, I've had a few of those myself. Um, and the first few kind of just made me mad. In fact, the very first one I got that I ever thought was even somewhat credible, I went to the local sheriff's department. I said, look, at, I, you know, I've, I've been threatened. And God bless them. They tracked the person down. Good. And they found him in New Jersey. He was a kid in the his parents' basement. <laughs> two state troop, two two state troopers knocked on the door and scared the living crap out of him. Well, that's how it should be because they're the yeah, ones exactly. that will sit there and type that all day long with no repercussion. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't it funny? People will say things online that they would never dream of saying to your face. Never. Absolutely. So, what was it like talking with Fred Bear? Uh, uh, an experience of a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, I was just a young kid at the time. I was probably not even 30 and to have the opportunity to sit down with him and, and listen to him and have him listen to me and interview him and have him tell stories. I mean, it was, it was to this day, one of the highlights still of my career. Was he as legendary status back then as he is now? He was, and that was part of it. I was in awe. I was, I knew I was sitting with a living legend, a bow hunting legend. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty intimidating, but he was so gracious and kind that he eased that um, intimidation factor. He was just a nice guy. Yeah. What did, year did he pass away? Anybody know that? 87-ish, 88-ish, because I interviewed him in 85. I missed him just by a short period. I was born in 88. <laughs> I won't tell you when I was born. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, a, but there's about a 30-year difference there. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> so well, who else stands out in your years of doing the broadcast work and your whole career in the outdoors? Who else stands out that you really enjoyed being able to interact with Morton F who Morton F. Do you guys even know who Morton F is? I do, I do not. not. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so old. I need to go to bed night. Bed now. It's my, it's my bedtime. See you guys. <laughs> oh, Morton F is the guy who invented outdoor television in Michigan. Okay. At one time, he was more popular, more well-known than the governor. He is a guy that used to have a show called Michigan Outdoors. The show that Jimmy Gretzinger has these days goes back to Mort Neff. Okay. I mean, he was like a legend, an icon, a hero. And the same thing, I, I, 
I had a chance to spend time with him and show him videotapes of my early shows and have him um, critique them and give me advice and give me suggestions. I mean, that was that was uh, that was really something too because he was he was the man who started outdoor television in Michigan. Yeah, that's one I feel like we should have known because we've been out with Michigan Out of Doors before. Actually, I think Jenny's going to be at the check-in for a tournament that I'm doing ah. in February. She's going to be doing a seminar or a talk or something like that at the end. Man, that that whole crew is good people, aren't they? Michigan yeah. Outdoors. With, yeah, we had fun. Really we didn't call people. anything in with them, though. You that know why? Be- that's the curse of the camera. <laughs> that's what <laughs> that's, they said. Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. We went out with Jordan. See, I don't know Jordan. Um, I just, our paths haven't crossed. I mean, I know of him. I have much respect for him, but um, he's, you know, a young guy, up and comer. I mean, not up and comer. No, he's made it. He's he's making a name for himself. So I yeah. have a lot of respect for him. Yeah. When we did, when we went out with them, uh, it was daylight only, wasn't it, Kevin? We didn't go yep. out at night at all. Uh, well, we did, but it was 17. It was rimfire or shotgun only at night at that point in time. But we didn't call anything in with them, but I mean, the, we got to get them behind like night vision somehow and have them come out. Cause I think they'd have fun doing that. What you guys do with this technology and stuff these days is just amazing. We, we enjoy it. I mean, that definitely ups our game quite a bit. And when we started doing it, we used lights just like pretty much everybody starts out using, you know, is that still a viable way for somebody to get started? If they don't want to put down a bunch of money off the bat, can you get started and get a feel for it that way? Absolutely. The the biggest thing with lights is learning how to use them. Coyotes don't like the light turning on and off. So when people start to learn, and we talk about it quite often on our pages, when people start to learn to keep the light on and never turn it off, you we killed a lot of coyotes that way. That's how we started before thermal. I mean, when I got started into lights, thermal was like ten, twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> not in my budget well it's still in the thousands isn't it yeah but they've came down a lot we can you can get into a thermal handheld scanner now for what seven eight hundred bucks oh really that'll do you a couple hundred yards and you can pick out heat they're not always the greatest image but it'll do what a lot of people want them for a lot of people buy them for deer recovery uh you can see fresh blood if it's warm enough so you can find the blood trail with thermal too usually pretty get pretty much have to get on them fairly quick to have the heat still there but they come in handy for a lot of different reasons kevin was just uh at the shot show and he had law enforcement and military and people coming up to him telling him what all you know it's actually getting used for how was the shot show kevin it was you know attendance was down because of the whole covid thing yeah which actually made it nice because you weren't you know shoulder to shoulder all the time um it was still decent attendance i don't know what the actual number was that was down i want to say maybe 20 30 percent attendance was down but overall the show was good yeah i heard the same thing ata i heard was kind of a kind of a bust too um the world is just so crazy right now still still is do you ever go to any of those shows mike i used to okay i want to know what your thoughts are on social media and the hunting community? Man, that's a great question. That is a great question, Josh. I spend so much time thinking about that these days. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I, I, I love it 
because it allows me to reach people free, basically free. I mean, you can pay to boost stuff. I never do. And, and I come from a background where I'm used to paying to be on the air for TV shows. And, and, and social media to me is so exciting. And I, at, at heart, I'm a geek. I mean, I'm a techno, my, my degrees in college are technology and electronics and stuff. I'm a geek. I love this stuff. So I'm very excited that social media allows an old guy like me and young guys like you guys and people who have no experience to break into the outdoor industry, to tell their stories, reach people, and grow their audiences. It's very, very exciting to me. The downside, of course, is it brings out the absolute worst in people. And why do you think that is? The animosity, I think, is a lot of it. Like we were saying earlier, somebody will tell you something online, or especially Facebook. I, I haven't found Instagram to be too bad yet. but and I think it's because my Facebook audience is much bigger than my Instagram audience. Mm -hmm. uh, people will say things on Facebook they would never say to you in real life. Yep. Yep. And I was talk we were talking about this the other day. I think a lot of it is everybody has their standards that you got to meet or you're, you know, crap to them. They have the biggest buck. If you don't kill one that's this big, it's bad. And it, we were just having this conversation because it does nothing for anybody. Nothing positive. This is when I think I first realized how divisive social media can be when I came out against the mandatory antler point restriction crowd because I just don't like the idea of one group of hunters telling another group of legal hunters what they can harvest. If you're going to do it respectfully, that's one thing. But there was just too much talking down to people and too much meanness. That's kind of a wimpy term, but there was <laughs> just too much, too much trash. And, and, and I didn't want to be a part of it. So I came out against it. And, oh, my goodness. You would have thought I was the Antichrist the way they came after me. I mean, they just I was I was called a snake in the grass. And it was I've since kind of made up with that group and said, look, guys, let's put us put this all behind us and just move on. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the 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 division it can cause among hunters. And and this is something I talk about on my radio show all the time, too. We've got enough people who want to take away our uh, take away our way of life that we can't be splintering and infighting among ourselves. Yeah. Well, and while we're all fighting amongst ourselves, they're doing what they want in the background. And not even in the background. Some places, look at out west, look at Colorado, look at uh, the trail, cam band, uh, trail camera bands out there. Yeah, in Utah. Uh, it's, 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 and, and why do we not have a wolf hunt in Michigan? Because We've been our, wondering that. <laughs> I, I, can, I, I have a theory on that. You want to hear it? <laughs> yes, yeah, please. I do not believe that the powers that be in Michigan have the fortitude and the stomach to put up with the fight that they're going to have with the anti-hunters. And I have heard this firsthand some, from some very highly placed individuals. I put it right from the governor to the director of the DNR to the DNR to the NRC. They just don't have the stomach or the desire or maybe the resources to fight the anti-hunters that they know it's going to bring. I would agree with that. And that's the bad part because there is definitely more antis or people that are on the fence or neither direction than there are outdoorsmen, hunters, and fishermen. So yeah. qu a question for you, Mike, with that being said, what organizations out there do you feel are doing a good job to help with hunters' rights? 
I like MUCC. I'm a member of MUCC. A lot of people don't agree with MUCC. I don't agree with everything MUCC says, but I've seen them in action, and I know that they can they can get into these hallway conversations with key people. They know how to reach the key people. I think they're committed overall to protecting our resources, our natural resources, protecting our rights as hunters and anglers. I think the UP Sportsman's, what is it, the UP Sportsman's Alliance is another great group. And then you've got all the, you know, like, Ducks Unlimited and the Michigan Trappers and Predator Callers Association, the Michigan Charterboat Association. We've got a lot of great groups out there. I think it's just a matter of picking one that you can back, picking one that does what you believe should be done, and get in there. You know, give them your money, be active, tell them what you think, and just don't don't sit back. We've got to be active. And that's hard for hunters and anglers because we are individualists. We are loners. We many of us I mean, when you guys go out there at night, you're out there by yourselves. You're not out there with a bunch of people. You're out there because you like to be out there by yourself in the middle of the night and just enjoying creation. We, by nature, are not activists and we're not joiners. But we have to be. We have to be these days. Yeah. I agree. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, For the record, when I go out a lot, I go out a lot at night by myself. Only if somebody else doesn't want to go. (laughs) I like to have somebody else with me just in case something happens, just because of the people we do deal with sometimes. Nosy neighbors, police, DNR, we deal with them all. So it's sometimes nice to have another person. But, yeah, there's a lot of times where I'll go out there and I won't even play a sound for a while. I'll just sit there and stare. Especially on a nice clear night when you can see all the stars or the moon. Yeah, it's, it's meditative. Yeah, and it's cool to be able to go out there and just watch everything be, you know, as it was before you were there, you know? Well, and and I would bet, you know, I don't pretend to have any experience what you guys are doing, but, you know, I, I would look at a woodlot during the daylight and have one perception of it, and then you guys go out there after dark, maybe in the middle of the night, and you have that same experience but it's completely different than what i saw in the daytime so you give you a different perspective and a different insight and a different look into the natural world that most of us don't get to see oh yeah there's so much stuff that you see at night that you would never see during the day and you know thermals obviously helps with that but even night vision helps with that and just because it's the time of day different animals are more active at night so it's like you said it's almost a different world yeah it's kind of amazing how many mice are actually in fields. <laughs> I, I hear that from from uh, predator hunters with thermals all the time. They say the same thing. It's like it's it's like the the ground is moving out there. It's, it's crazy, yeah. huh? Yeah, Randy Booty, I think, has mentioned that before <laughs> yeah. on your on your radio show. But yeah, Randy's a killer. We love, we're we're good friends with Randy. He talks to Kevin quite a bit. Ah, uh, he he's 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 a cool guy. It yeah. is is. Is the predator hunting world, I mean, it's a fairly, at the level you guys are, it's fairly small, right? There's not a lot of you. I know it's growing like crazy, but do you guys all tend to to get along well and joke around with each other and support each other? Or is there a healthy competition like you see, oh, in the world of professional fishing? I would say there's, I mean, yes and no. It seems like there's smaller core groups that tend to get along well together. But then it's kind of like, you know, you talked about with the deer hunting out there, there's egos involved and the egos tend to be the detractors that, you know, they, 
think they're better than someone else or, you know, you're not doing it right. I'm doing it right. And the ego side of it is, well, if you don't, you know, have a success rate, same as mine, then you don't know what you're doing. So there is that aspect to it. But like, you know, when we get together for like this tournament coming up this weekend or any of the tournaments or seminars or whatever, overall, I'd say, especially when you're face to face, people tend to get along pretty good. 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 Can I go back one point, guys, and just follow up on something, too? Yeah. Kevin, you brought this back up about, you know, the deer hunters. And I talked about, you know, my feud for a while with the uh, quality deer management guys. You know what I got to tell them? They were right. They they, I think, have changed the way hunters in Michigan look at deer hunting in that it used to be if it's brown, it's down. If it's got a rack on its head, it doesn't care if it's a spike or whatever. He, you know, you took him. And I still say if people want to do that, God bless them. It's their mm-hmm. tag. It's their hunt. It's their experience. Hunt your hunt. Agreed. But I do think that group, the MAPR people, have done an excellent job of getting people to change the way they look at harvesting deer and maybe let that year and a half old buck walk. Because you look at the bucks we're taking in Michigan now, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. And as you mentioned before, I think a lot of it is in the approach. I'm, I'm all for if you want to tell me, Hey, you know, that beautiful buck that you got this year, just imagine what it could have been next year, but congratulations anyways, Mm -hmm. whatever, that's fine. It's when you do something and you're immediately just chastised chastised for it you yeah. know that doesn't yeah. make any sense why that you're supposed to you know my dad has told me stories before about it you never people never used to care if you'd hunt on their land back a long time ago you know people would drive by seeing you drag a deer and no matter what it was they'd come out and help you yeah and it's the same on public land you know i i hunt a lot of public land for deer I've helped people drag deer out of the woods before, but then you've also seen, I've heard of people trying to get help before and people offer until they see what deer it is. And then where'd the help go all of a sudden? There's no reason for it. It doesn't make any sense to me. And that's, that's been an argument that I've been involved in and I get myself involved in quite a few times, but I'm very, I feel very strongly on that. Leave everybody alone let them make their own choices as long as it's following the law and they're enjoying it. What right does anybody have to take that opportunity away from somebody? If somebody is out hunting in a legal manner, according to the rules and regulations of the state and the DNR, what do we as fellow hunters have to say about that? If somebody shoots a buck that is not of the quality we would choose to shoot, how does that somehow hurt us? It doesn't. I've said that. <laughs> it, 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 it's no skin off our nose, right? Yep. I mean, it, it doesn't. So I don't get that. But yeah, Josh, I, I'm, man, you're singing my song. Yeah. And I mean, I felt very strongly about that for a long time. My, my kids are getting into hunting and that's, I want them to have the kind of experience I had. My dad said, any deer you want to shoot, shoot it. I don't want to be the one saying, Hey, don't shoot that deer. It's too small. No, I want to see your, your handshake. I want to hear your breathing. I want to hear your heartbeat sitting next to you and then watch you, you know, do your thing. That's what I love about hunting. And if we quit getting excited, we better take up golf. Yeah. Yep. And there's a lot of nights, even with coyotes and it's, it's starting to get to the point where I don't care if I shoot any, or not, I will listen to coyotes all night long howl. 
If they never come in, I am happy listening to them howl. I, I love the sound. It is a cool sound, even for a non-predator hunter. <laughs> yeah. You've never tried then, predator hunting at all? Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah. I haven't. Uh, nothing against it, obviously. It's just something I haven't done. I think here in Michigan, we're lucky in that we have to pick our passions. And for me, it's walleye fishing, bear hunting, and turkey hunting. And and the other stuff is fun. The other stuff is out there. If I get a chance to enjoy it, great. Um, but it's it's... And you talk about the coyote howl, man. The first time I heard a wolf howl, that was like a whole different ball game then too. That was, man, it's impressive. I've still yet to hear that. I uh, I heard him howl. I've heard him howl when I was bear hunting in Ontario. I had a wolf come into my bear bait one time, and then I went back up there and I wolf hunted in Ontario. That was one of the most intense hunts, hunts I've ever been on. The temperature was forty below zero. Um. And that alone was intimidating, right? I'd never seen temperatures like that. You're walking out to uh, a wolf bait. It was it was a moose that the trucks had hit that they pulled out in the bush, and the wolves were coming into it. So that's where they set up to hunt them. So you're walking in at 40 below zero in three feet of snow into a spot where you know wolves are coming every day. And my first hunt was with a crossbow. So, so it's like... Really? That was just really, really intense. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And they were the smartest critters. I mean, you know, our Michigan wolves, they kind of lost their fear of man, which is a shame. But up there in Ontario, if they see you, hear you, smell you, or even think you're there, they're going the other direction. So it was pretty cool. Did uh, Seriously, the wolves you think have lost their fear of man here? Absolutely. A lot of people have said that. I haven't heard that. There was a um, noted biologist from out west that around the time frame of our first hunt came over and studied the wolves here in Michigan. And that's one of his observations. He said the wolves in Michigan don't have fear of man. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd probably be afraid of a wolf if it was coming at me. And, and that's one of the reasons why I think we need to have a wolf hunt. To, to control the population, yes, but to instill a healthy fear of man into those wolves. Yeah, uh, because right now they don't have that fear. Coyotes around here don't stand around for very long. If a, my truck stops in the road to watch one run across the field, <laughs> I've seen that truck before and after that. Their wife didn't come home that night. <laughs> so you named walleye, bear, and turkey. Of the three, what is your favorite to go after? Bear. Why? Because you don't see him as often. When I when I drive around where I live here in the east central part of the state, I will see deer every day. I'll see turkeys every day. And I and I love them. Um, and I can go out and catch walleye every day. But even though there are bears around here, you just don't see them very often. So I've I've killed a fair number of bears, but every bear I see in the wild is a treat. Every time I see that black, beautiful, sleek animal come sneaking into a bait. And you don't know how they showed up there. You don't know how you didn't hear them. But they're there 10 yards in front of you. Every stinking one of them is an absolute thrill. Even the little ones that I know I'm not going to shoot. There's something about bear hunting that just, I feel the need to bear hunt every year. And I can't get a Michigan tag every year, so I have to go other places to hunt them. I just love bear hunting. What's your most memorable bear hunt? Um, boy, this one, well, two, 
two years ago, I shot one with a recurve. Yep. That, that had been a goal of mine. I wanted to shoot a big game animal with a recurve. So that was very, very rewarding. But I tell you, this hunt I did up in White River last August, even though I shot him with a, a crossbow, that, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't the challenging part of it. But the fact that the animal ran back into such thick, nasty, gnarly country uh, through water, across rocks, and she was a sow, and I pretty much knew she was a sow when I shot her. Um, that Getting her out of there was just a real trip because it was so physically demanding, and it was just, it was really cool, really cool. And when you go up, you said Ontario, right? Ontario, I hope to do a, I've, I've hunted bears in Michigan, Quebec, Ontario, Manitoba, and Alberta. But I hope to do this spring. I hope to do Quebec, and I will definitely go back to uh, Ontario in the fall. Any of them with your recurve? No, nope, I'm done with the recurve. Uh, I reluctantly put the recurve down after last spring's turkey season. When it, when By the end of the season, I got to the point where I had lost confidence. I wasn't shooting it enough to feel like if that bird walked in front of me, I was relatively assured I was going to make a quick, clean, humane killing shot. There was a time with my recurve when I felt that way because I was shooting a lot. But when I, for whatever reason, either lost the passion or didn't have the time, but I wasn't shooting enough. Last summer between turkey season and bear season, I made the transition back to a crossbow because I felt that I owed the animal that. I owed them. If I was going to shoot them and kill them, I owed them that quick, clean, humane death that I knew a crossbow could provide, but the recurve, I just didn't have the confidence in anymore. Okay. I've never bear hunted. Kevin tells me every year to apply, and I still have yet to do it. <laughs> Kevin, what do you think of it? I love it. Probably oh for gosh. a lot of the same reasons you said. Um, it, it, it's amazing to me how an animal that big can make no noise. You know, you'll be sitting there and then all of a sudden, boom, there's a bear there. Um, we also really enjoy eating them. My wife prefers that over venison. Really? And I like the terrain that you're in when you're hunting them. I mean, the UP is God's country and I love it up there. Do you guys, how do you, do you make bear roast or bear steak or what do you like? All of it. My wife likes the burger more than anything. Bear, bear, ah, bear burger. Yeah. You can't go wrong with bear burger and chili or oh, mm -hmm. man, spaghetti. Yeah. Yeah, you had given me some backstrap, I think, from your one two or three years ago, Kevin. Yep. And I thought it was pretty dang good too. And I eat I I deer hunt every year and try to put as many in the freezer as possible. I love venison and that's what we can afford. <laughs> so I put as much of it in the freezer as I can, but you really don't get into deer hunting much at all anymore, do you, Mike? Honestly, I have to force myself to deer hunt. Uh, if if the only reason I go out and hunt now is to be a part of the Michigan tradition of deer hunting, I do it because I don't want to lose that experience. If I never deer hunted again, I'd be okay. I, I make myself do it because I want to be a part of the deer hunting family. I, I hope I never lose the love for whitetails. Was there something that caused that? Yep. The fight with the uh, antler point guys. Okay. The infighting. I just, it, honestly, it took the wind right out of my sails. It broke my heart. 
okay. broke my heart. Yeah, I I can see that. I hope it. I mean, I guess I I try my best to not let it get that far to me because I love to deer hunt. So. <laughs> And I didn't do a very good job. I should, I just, I, I, sh- I should be old enough and wise enough and thick skinned enough that I should have just not let it get to me, but it did. And that's why it was so important for me too to kind of, to make amends with that group. And, you know, we can, we can agree to disagree yep. is, is, is basically what it is. I have respect for them because they believe strongly in what they believe. Um, and some of the key leaders there have said they feel the same way about me. So we'll agree to disagree. Um, I have no desire to shoot a year and a half old buck. Yep. If I'm going to let an arrow, I, my, I was out last year all doe hunting. I, I did go to Ohio, and I would have shot a buck if I would have had a nice buck in front of me. But when I'm in Michigan, I'm doe hunting. I know I'm not going to see a buck I want to shoot, so I'm doe hunting. It would take a pretty good-sized Michigan buck. So people, you know, when they say, oh, well, you just want to shoot small bucks. No, I don't want to shoot a small buck. If you want to, again, God bless you. But I just, I, I, I look at deer hunting, and I am saddened by what it has become. Again, because I'm an old guy, I go back to my frame of reference. Number one, we didn't know as much about deer as we do these days. I didn't understand rubs. I didn't understand scrapes. We'd go out and sit at the base of a stump, and if a buck walked by, you shot it. If you got a, if you got a doe tag, you burned it. I mean, that was the way of thinking back then. These days, I feel like in order to be a valid kill, number one, you have to have trail camera pictures of that buck from previous years. The buck must have been on your hit list, and you must have named it. You have to have sheds from previous years, and you must have killed it in a food plot that you planted. And then finally, it must be a fully mature deer. And I feel like if all those criteria aren't reached these days, it's somehow not a valid harvest. And I and I can't wrap my brain around it. No, I, I, I get exactly what you're saying. I, I do, unfortunately, because we've all seen it and heard it, and it's Leave the dude alone. He killed something he wanted to with the tag he bought with his money in the time he had to do it. It's none of your business. Yeah. And the fact that I kill a deer here means what to you three hours across the state because it was going to travel that far. You shot my deer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so hey, I, I, I totally understand. I, I totally get it. What is the future of Mike Avery Outdoor Magazine? I'm not retiring. Not at all. People, people ask me that all the time. They say, you know, when, when are you going to retire? Why would I retire? I'm doing exactly what I love. It's not a physically demanding job. And if I wasn't working, I'd be doing the same thing I am now. I'd be hunting and fishing and talking about hunting and fishing. So these days I can justify my hunting and fishing as part of my job. I have topics to talk about on the radio show and online, you know, with, with, with you guys and on my, my social media stuff. I'm still physically in good shape. My mind is still sharp. Um, I fully intend, I, I feel like I've got another 10 years in me. And if at the end of that 10 years, I feel like going, I'll keep, as long as, as long as I can put my words together in a somewhat cohesive manner, and as long as people are willing to listen to what I have to say, I'm not going to retire. Yeah. And if this wasn't what you were doing, what do you think you might be doing differently? I'd be retired from a cop. I'd be okay. a cop. Hmm? I always want. I always want to be a cop. Okay. Uh, my dad. My dad. This is back in the '60s. He said, "Don't you don't want to be a cop?" Because by then they were getting called pigs and they were being spit on and stuff. But I, that's that's the one job that I can relate to. I mean, I I went to school for electronics. 
You know, if I, so if I wasn't doing this, what would I be doing? Eh, probably a cop, but I've been long retired by now. You know, I wouldn't still be a cop at this age. Okay. How many people make up your show? I mean, I, I'm assuming you don't do it hundred percent solo. <laughs> pretty close. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, pretty close. There are two guys in the radio studio. Uh, they rotate through and they will kind of babysit the board and call the guests. And then they hand me a, they hand me a USB drive. In fact, they hand me this drive right here with my show on it where I, they hand me this drive right here with my show on it. And I break it, I bring it home and, and go from there. Now, uh, the guys are very, very crucial because they, when we're in the studio, they can keep an eye on the technical side of things so I can just concentrate on the content. These days, I do have the technical capability. I could do it all from my office right here at the house. But I, I like having other people involved just to take the workload off a little bit. But, I mean, basically, two people me and another guy on any given week are the extent of the crew. So you created your studio, everything yourself. Well, the one I got here, I did when I go into the studio, I actually record the show in the studios of WSGW just because, well, for no other reason than my wife told me, you got to get out of the house and go see people. (laughs) She said, you got to go work with people face to face. You can't do it all over the phone or online or whatever. Um, and they're great guys to work with. And it's, you know, it's nice to get into the studio and I appreciate their help. Does your wife get out hunting or fishing with you? You know, she pulled a fast one on me when we were dating, she was real eager to go hunting and then we got married and somehow she lost that interest in going hunting. (laughs) She just wanted the hunter. That's what she wanted. (laughs) But she does love to go out on the boat. Uh, she does love to go out on the boat. So we're looking forward to that this summer. She like to fish or just go out on the boat? She likes to go out on the boat while I fish, but if I hand her a rod, she's not opposed to bringing a fish in. That's that's pretty much how my wife is. Yeah. She didn't used to like eating fish until I learned how to properly deep fry it and everything. Now she will eat it faster than I will. So Anything deep fried is good, right? Oh, yeah. Real good for you, too, I think. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so... With your Facebook page, why do you choose to run it the way you do? Meaning, why is there so much of everybody else and less of you? You know, you're always, we've always known you. You share everybody's pictures. You share everybody's stories. And we appreciate it. We enjoy everybody's stories. Is there a reason behind you doing it that way? Not consciously. I mean, I think I do it that way because I want to make it as attractive as possible to the maximum audience. And if it was just me, I would get some people that would come on over to see what was going on. But if they think there's a chance they're going to get to see their picture there or their buddy's picture there or their neighbor's pictures there. You know, I mean, uh, I got like 80,000 people who follow me, follow the page on Facebook. And I don't think I would have that many if it was just me. Yeah. Well, I know we definitely appreciate it. And, you know, you've always shouted out to us for our coyotes and everything. And we appreciate the support from somebody that's much bigger up than we are, much higher up than we are showing what we do and just, you know, in a positive light. That's we appreciate it very much. 
Well, you have my support. You have my respect. Um, you know, we're all fellow hunters. We're all, like we said earlier, we're in this together. We got to support each other. We got to back each other. We got to promote each other. So keep them coming, guys. Keep the videos and the pictures coming. I'll keep posting them. Absolutely. What is a goal for 2022? I want to shoot a Michigan bear. I still have not shot a Michigan bear. I've had the opportunity to shoot two Michigan bears in past. And this year I won't pass. If I, if I get the chance, I will shoot a Michigan bear. Uh, and my other outdoor related goal is I want to spend as much time on the water chasing walleye as I possibly can. And you're getting probably another pontoon, another angler quest. Okay. Yep. Yep. Well, why do you choose things. pontoon? It chose me. Okay. The first one I ever saw, it was actually, it was a prototype. I saw it on the grass at an outdoor show in Freeland when they, the very first one they ever built. And I thought, well, that's, 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 that's not a big water boat. That's a pontoon. I, Cause I'd always been told, well, you can't take a pontoon out on Saginaw Bay. Well, they were wrong because if you take a big triple tube out there with a big outboard on it, it's the most stable, safe fishing machine I've ever, ever been on. But I saw that, I saw the angler quest sitting there in the grass at that show. And, and I sat in it and I got looking around. I thought, you know, this thing could be a fishing machine. So I got to do some checking around and I found out it was made in Michigan. Mm -hmm. The angler quest and their parent company, Apex Marine is a Michigan based company out of St. Louis. And I said, well, this, this, this is good because I want to work with Michigan based companies. And I got in touch with those guys and we started talking and established a relationship. And I said, I want to promote you guys. Do you want to work with me? And we agreed and we shook hands and we've been working together ever since. Uh, and if this is too insider, just let me know. How many companies do you work with? Uh, and I'm, 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 I'm not stammering because I don't want to tell you the answer, but I can tell you the answer. And there, most of them, just let me look it up here. I'll look up, I'll look up a rundown from a recent show because most of them are Michigan based companies and most of them are family owned companies. I like to right there. I like to work with Michigan-based family-owned companies. Yep. Uh, I, Primal Tree Stands, Offshore Tackle, J Sporting Goods. J Sporting Goods is the company that let me get started. Okay. J Sporting Goods. When I left TV Five, the late Kathy Poet, who was the daughter-in-law of J of J Sporting Goods, I went to her and said, "Kathy, I have this opportunity, but I don't know if I can do it, and I don't think I can afford it." She said, you can do it. We have faith in you. And she wrote me the first check ever. That's why I'm loyal to Jay Sporting. That's awesome. Uh, Shadow Hunter Blinds, Michigan Wildlife Council, Garber Chevrolet, Michigan Brand Meats. Love those guys. Security Credit Union, Yider Insurance, Angler Quest, uh, Forward Corporation. Uh, that covers that tier. And then let me just put a shout out to one more, if you'll indulge me here. One more. Absolutely. Uh, uh, radio Billboards. Um Linwood Beach Marina, MUCC, Wilds Plumbing and Heating, Boning Archery, 76th Anniversary, uh, Reader Landscaping, Rapid River Knives, RapidRiverKnifeWorks.com. I carry Rapid River Knife all the time, and Versaskins. So that's that's pretty much the group I'm working with. Good. That's a that's a lot of people. Good variety. <laughs> um, when I, I tell you, and maybe this is too inside baseball, but when when I left TV and decided to concentrate on radio, I said, 
I'm going to quit chasing these national companies because when you deal with these big corporate conglomerates, a couple things happens. Number one, they have no loyalty whatsoever. And the second thing is you end up going through a marketing company or an ad agency. And I have found that it doesn't work for me. So I said, I'm going to work with Michigan based family owned companies where I can walk in the door and shake hands and have coffee with the person who calls the shots and makes the decision. And when I switched my focus that way, things took off. Been happy ever since. Yep. Most days, <laughs> most days. <laughs> well, Kevin, you got anything else for him? Not at all. No, nope, I'm good right now. Mike. We really appreciate your time tonight. I, I, I do have a, a specific question, and I'm not trying to uh, irritate anybody by this, but you mentioned that you're using a crossbow. Yeah. Do you feel like crossbows now are advertised kind of improperly for hunters? Yes. When Raven came out and said, here's your next gun, I was deeply saddened because I thought that is not the message that we want to put out. Because as a crossbow hunter, I know it is a, used to be, single shot, right? Close range, because I, I, I will not shoot a, an animal with my crossbow any farther than I would have with my compound. Yep. I don't have any more range than I did with my compound. So for me, it's a single shot, close range tool, and I'm putting a broadhead through an animal. So it's a bow. In my mind, it's a piece of archery gear. So when Raven came out and said, here's your next gun, I thought, this is this is bad. This is not going to help us at all. And we've seen it. <laughs> People use it that way. Yep, yep, yep. Unfortunately, that, that's one conversation I've had quite a few times. I, I don't care if you use a crossbow, but you still got to treat it still loud. It's louder than most bows, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, it is. And the big advantage you have is you don't have to draw it. Yep. When you've got an animal in front of you, you don't have to make this motion of drawing it back. It's already cocked. And that is a huge advantage. Uh, anybody who says it's not is crazy. It is a huge advantage. A lot less movement. Well, Mike, can you tell us what radio stations you're playing on off the top of your head? Off the top of my head, no, but I or have by looking. list here. Or by looking. <laughs> you go ahead. Thank God for this iPad right here next to me. <laughs> Uh, I got 32 stations across the state. I am, I'm actually pretty proud of that. It is, uh, it is not easy to put together a radio network like God has blessed me with. It's taken a lot of years and it's, it's, it's a lot of work. WZTK out of Alpena, WBCK out of Battle Creek in Carroll. I've got WKYO and WIDL. In Sheboygan, I've got Big Country Gold, WCBY, AM and FM. In Flint, Sports Extra 1330, WTRX. In Houghton Lake, two stations, the Twister 92.1 WTWS and 98.5 WUPS. In Holland, I've got WHTC, AM and FM. Lansing is WILS. Ludington News 9798, 98.7 WLDN. Manistee, WMLQ. Muskegon, WKBZ. Newberry, WNBY. Port Huron, WPHM. Saginaw, WSGW, AM and FM. Sandusky, WMIC, AM and FM. Sault Ste. Marie, WKNW, ESPN 1400. 
in this in St. Joe, WSJM, in Tawas, WIOS, AM and FM, in Traverse City, WTCM, in Marquette, WDMJ, Iron Mountain, WMIQ, Escanaba, WCHT, AM and FM, in Manistique, WTIQ, AM and FM. That's a heck of a pretty list. <laughs> Are they all morning shows pretty much? Pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. Saturday or Sunday morning for the most part, yeah. So everybody check into one of those stations. <laughs> or the website, MikeAbreyOutdoors.com. There you go. Facebook? MikeAbreyOutdoors.com. Instagram, YouTube. all the same. YouTube, MikeAbreyOutdoors.com. <laughs> everybody wants to find you. That's where they go. Mike Avery Outdoors, everything. Yeah. Hey, listen, guys. I, I really appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity. It's always weird for me to sit on the other side of the questions. Uh, and you've That's asked why we wanted questions. it. Well, and I, and I appreciate it. You make you make me think, and I appreciate that. Keep up the good work, guys. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Mike. We'll uh, end this recording now, and thank you, everybody, who's listened to this episode all the way through. Mike, once again, thank you for your time. Kevin. Pleasure, guys. Pleasure, we'll guys. Thank you. <laughs>